How are you guys doing? Are you tuned in to uh, what the Lord has been saying to you the last couple of weeks? I'll give you a little bit of insight into my role. Um, I'll give you kind of like an extreme example, but I think you'll get the point. Um, I'll teach a series on uh, how beautiful are the feet of Jesus, right? The passage, bring the good news. And then someone will come up to me after service and say, well, I had my feet amputated, so what about me? And I think, (laughs) I'm sorry. I wasn't meaning to make you feel bad for your lack of feet. It's just sort of a word picture in the scripture. But you guys get the point that oftentimes in, in my role, I want to, and I think the, the, the word of God calls me to, apply some godly pressure on you. And that the Holy Spirit uh, enables you to respond in a favorable way, right? To say yes to that. And yet, inevitably, anywhere that I would apply a little bit of pressure Um, there'll be someone who because of that pressure and because of their own extremely unique situation will say, well, what about me? I don't know what to do. I feel so weak and unable. So as we've been talking about uh, repentance and responding to the Lord, um, I just want you to know that wherever you're at, the Lord's going to meet you. And I can't, from my vantage point, address every potential scenario. Um, What I can do is present the truth uh, from the Word of God without uh, varnish. Um, And I trust that you have, even as we've talked about repentance, which is a serious topic, Uh, that you've had an experience of God's grace and that you would believe even now that his grace is sufficient for you in your specific situation and circumstance. Um, I don't want you to walk out feeling as if you are disqualified, and I say that particularly this morning. Um, I feel like this morning I might be maybe even more uh, hard on you than I have been. You'll be fine. (laughs) I actually said last week, I don't stand here as a judge. I stand here as someone who is actually more aware of the application of what I'm sharing with you, maybe than any of you. You're going to engage with what we're talking about this morning for... 40 minutes. Um, And I've been in it for hours and hours and hours over weeks. I tell you what, the more time that you spend with Jesus looking at repentance, I think there's two things that happen. You increasingly become aware of your need for repentance and the ways that you fall short and increasingly aware of the greatness, the magnificence, the abundance of God's love towards you. 
So I want to ask you a question. If, you, if you're a note taker, maybe write down your answer. <clears throat> if you've been with us the last three Sundays on the topic of repentance, what do you sense that God has been saying to you? Have you sensed any conviction from the Spirit of God over these past three weeks toward something? Have you felt your heart moved to uh, respond in a particular way? Uh, You should really quantify that. You should really um, sort of uh, uh, define that. What is that response? Um, But my second question is, what have you done in the last uh, three weeks? What actions have you taken and what has changed as you've, if you've, if you've sensed any pull of the Holy Spirit, how have you responded? If you have experienced here during this time even the slightest modicum of conviction and have taken no concrete action in response to that conviction, with all the love that I have for you, I need you to know your soul is in danger. The danger is self-deception and the muting of the voice of God in your life. And it's actually a graver danger than any immorality in your life represents. The scripture makes it very clear once you've shut yourself off to the invitation of God, there's nothing else. And so if you're here, and you're listening, and you hear, you have some sense of that still small voice of the Spirit. I wanna ask you again, don't try to solve it all, don't try to figure it all out, just say yes, just say yes. Say yes and do whatever he's asking you to do. Eternity is on the line. All of sanctification, The whole process of growing into the image of Christ is understood in this way, saying yes in the current moment. The past you cannot change, and the future is no guarantee. All of Christian sanctification is your capacity right now in this place and this time to say yes to God. That's the whole thing. And if you will own this moment, this opportunity, to say yes, and then in the next moment, when it arrives, to say yes. The fruit of that is a truly beautiful life with Jesus. James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves, who deceive themselves, who trick themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. 
For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, that is this book, which is a mirror, which reflects back to me my true image, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Blessed in what he does. You will be blessed. All of my invitation is that you would not miss out on any of the blessing that's available to you. I want to do a really quick review. Week one, we dealt with uh, our love for the Lord. What is the quality of my love for God? I'm going to read this yet again. When you are possessed by one desire that is by many orders of magnitude greater than all of your other desires, and when you are able at all times to lay hold of and possess the object of that desire... And the object of your desire is profoundly and supremely satisfying. Would this not impact the way that others experience you, especially those most intimately acquainted with you? Would you not seem, by appearance, to be someone with a great and powerful inner satisfaction? And would not others note that even when bothered by other difficulties, that this satisfaction, this contentment, this fullness would be observably stable. If the love of God in your life is, looms significantly larger than all other loves, it has a profound and observable impact on you, your heart, and your mind. If you're not there, God already knows that. You're not fooling him. Just repent. Just say, God, I want to love you more, and I'm not happy with where I'm at. So I just confess my lack of love for you. Week two dealt with our relationship towards others. Remember, and if you want to study this further, look into 1 John. Uh, John makes it very clear that you cannot separate the love of God and the love of people. That anyone who, who would seek to excuse their lack of love for others has actually uh, misunderstood the love of God. That's where the that's where the issue is. I tell you, I can't remember if I told you this story. Driving out East End, and I had bluegrass gospel on in my car. Bluegrass gospel is the best because it's like a story in a super cool song, right? And the the chorus was, uh, I won't try to mimic the voice. It's very twangy. If, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't love each other, then you don't love God. And then it said, if you don't love your brother, then you don't love God. And uh, one of my boys, who at the time was probably five or six years old, from the back shouted up, hey, Dad, that's not true, right? <laughs> I have bad news, son. <laughs> Some are offended by the immoral with their immoralities, and some are offended by the religious with their self-righteousness. It doesn't matter. 
how you're wired. Jesus was friends with both, understood both, and continually invited both to repentance and relationship. And yet we stand from our little podium of judgment and claim, I can't even understand how people could behave this way. And the worst part is we wear our inability to relate as a self-validating badge of merit, as evidence of our own goodness and righteousness. We throw the only stone, or the one stone that only Jesus was qualified to throw and yet chose not to, the stone of our own lack of empathy. We serve a God who came down and joined us in our brokenness and in our weakness. That's what the love of God looks like. Last week, dealing with the idols that serve our appetites, why do we work so hard to either ignore or justify our lack of devotion, commitment, and passion toward loving the God of the universe, towards obedience to the greatest commandment, because we are protecting our idols. God always represents a real credible danger to our idols, but again, it begs the question, why? Why are our idols so important to us? Because God designed us to need Him and His benefits, and yet we're deceived into thinking, into believing that there are other, better sources for getting our needs met, we do not trust that he is the answer. I'm actually wired by God to need security. And yet I look to broken sources of security to make myself feel secure rather than looking to God. You're wired to need acceptance and love. And we look for it in through all of the broken sources that the world provides and do not look to God. Our sinful appetites crave and our sinful minds defend that which we believe will satisfy our sinful heart's desire. So, love for God, love for others, and then dealing with our idols, which are our competing loves. There's one final issue that we're going to address today. That was a long intro. I'll be expeditious. There's one final litmus test. The scripture and experience tell me that this test is highly reliable, is very accurate, even though it is often ignored or refuted today. Some of you this morning may be even tempted to take offense as I lay out the final test of the quality of your love for God. I'm going to illustrate this test with a short story. A wealthy land baron was preparing to take an extended trip To ensure the continued operation of his estate, he placed everything under the care of his most trusted employee. His caretaker had been brought in as a naive adolescent, but over the years, even decades, had proven his loyalty and his unmatched work ethic. 
There was no one the Baron trusted more. There was no one paid more highly. Upon his return several weeks later, the Baron was not at all surprised to discover evidence of the excellent care given to his estate. Everything was in order. The grounds, the various buildings, his many items of personal property. The museum quality maintenance was a source of pride and a matter of public reputation. And as the Baron stood in the great hall of his primary residence, receiving the caretaker's good report, a cry rang out. A shaky figure appeared briefly through an adjacent door and then collapsed with a gasp to the floor. It was the Baron's wife, bruised, bloody, and disheveled. In a flash, he was next to her, scooping her limp figure into his arms. What could possibly... Without finishing his question, he searched the caretaker's face for answers. Well, sir, I did in fact hear a bit of a fracas on a few recent occasions in the family quarters. But with so much to do and with such a full schedule during your absence, I thought it best not to involve myself in personal matters involving your family. Fighting disbelief, the Baron choked out. And what about my children? He pleaded with his eyes, where are my children? You'll be delighted to know that they have not interfered with my work in the slightest, as I have not seen them in over a week. simple, uh, undeniable principle it applies to our relationship with God, but it applies to all relationships. And that is that to love anyone is to care about what they care about. To love God is to prioritize in my own life those things that are most important to God. There's this very famous conversation, some of you have heard it taught on before, where Peter, who had denied Jesus, who had, who had pretended not to know him, who had lied about their history, their relationship, who had bailed out during uh, Jesus' time of greatest need, where they meet again and they have a conversation. 
And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Peter, each time, he asked the question three times, each time Peter says, you know that I do. In other words, I know that you already see the quality of my love for you. And then he says this every time. He says, Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, care for my flock. Not Peter, if you love me, you wouldn't have done that. That's a human way of doing relationships, right? If you loved me, you would not have failed me. If you loved me, you would have taken a risk for me. If you loved me, you would have been a better friend. It's all in the past. Can't be undone. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. This is what, if you want a very sort of narrow and straightforward picture of what a life of love for God looks like, then care for who I care for, my flock, my people, my family. Care about what I care about. Acts 9.4, another story that will be familiar to some of you. Saul the murderer is jailing and killing Christians. That's his job. That's literally his mission. He's the, you know, the Gestapo. And he's on his way to make some more arrests, to murder some more followers of Christ. And he's stopped on the road by Jesus. I hope to meet him face to face under different circumstances. And Jesus asks Saul a question. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is so taken back by the question. He says, I'm sorry, who are you? He does not say, why are you persecuting my followers, my flock, my church, my sheep? It's so personal to him. If you have children, you know exactly what this feels like. You want to take on my child? We got problems. I take that very personally. It feels very personal. I feel it as an attack against myself. Why? Because of my great love and affection for my admittedly imperfect children. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Luke 6, 46, 49. Why do you call me the Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
You've known someone who in public pretended to be better friends than they were. You know what I'm talking about? Wait, just with that group of people, why, why are you acting like we're besties? Like, I don't, I don't hardly know you. Jesus says, hey, why do you insist on calling me your master when you don't do anything that I've asked you to do? Everyone who comes to me hears my word and acts on them. That's, those are the people I know, the ones who come and say, hey, I love you, and I say, okay, here are my priorities, and then they align themselves with those priorities, and they say, okay, let me do that. If that's important to you, I'll act on that. And then he says, I'll show you who this person is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the ones who did hear and has not acted accordingly, he is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. What Jesus is saying is that there's a flood coming, there's a storm brewing. He is going to return and judge the earth, and everything that you have built that has not been built on the foundation of the eternal mission of God in that moment, in the flash of an eye, is going to get wiped out gone. All of your life's labors invested into whatever that thing is, gone. All of what the world so relentlessly pursues will be destroyed in an instant. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is not talking about someone who said that they were building their lives according to his purposes and his will. He says, let me tell you what it's like for the person who hears that and does build their life on my purposes and my will. That person suffers no loss And again, I just want to remind you. There's a fellowship in this room in our own brokenness and our own regret and our own admittance that we've all built stuff that's not going to survive. Does your life display a benevolent, self-sacrificing love for the church, the bride of Christ? Does your life display a benevolent, self-sacrificing love for the helpless, the needy, the undesirables? These two groups, if you are to read through the whole testimony of Scripture, 
These two groups are the two groups that seem to be the groups nearest to the heart of God. He talks about them constantly. He expresses concern for them constantly and renews the invitation to to join him in caring for these two groups all throughout Scripture. Two groups, the people of God, the community of faith, his people, and then the helpless, the broken, the needy, and the destitute, whatever category that looks like. Does my life on earth undeniably display my alignment with the mission of God's heavenly kingdom? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If you love me, care for who I care about. Why do you say that you love me? Why do you insist on touting our relationship when you do not do what I say, when you do not love the ones that I love, when you do not give yourself to care for those that I care for? so many news articles in the last couple of years just seems like a non-stop progression of high-profile Christian church leaders falling it's just brutal and there is the bride of Christ bruised bloodied disheveled hard to look at sometimes, you know. And some of you even in this room would look around the room and say, I would be more, you know, in, more connected, more engaged and caring and serving for this body of Christ, except for a couple of people who are in the room. No, that's not the reason. And their departure won't change your heart. You gotta go back to the beginning. First, you have to deal with love for God. What is it? What does it look like? How is my life built and shaped by it and around it? And only from there will you begin to move into truly knowing what it means to love others. Only the gospel can get you there. Only the love of God can bring you there. And then as you step out in that way, you realize there's things in your life that you need to get rid of that stand in the way. There's things that I care about that are very powerful over me and and seem to be an obstacle. I, I want to love this person and yet I find myself terrified of their opinions. I think approval is an idol. And God graciously begins to remove those things. But if you go through to that place and you do not take the final step of a life of self-sacrificing service to the bride of Christ, the church, to care about her, to want for her to be beautiful, holy in the eyes of God, and to care for the needy and the broken, 
If you stop before that final piece, you are on the road to complacency again. Because when you get in the, into the mess that is the world beyond your own home, your own family relationships, which, let's be honest, that's been a little bit of a mess too at times, that will bring you all the way back to the first one. You get into relationships with people. You have no idea how to help, no idea how to benefit, no idea how to bless, and it drives you right back to your relationship with God where you say again, God, how do you do this? I need more of you. Why do you say you love me when you do not do what I say? When you do not love the ones that I love. If your life is not characterized by love for the bride of Christ and the love for the broken, I already know what the issue is. There's three options. Either your heart has not been captured by the love of God, you have not developed a sincere love for others, or you are unrepentant in your attachment to your idols. You will never find someone whose heart has been fully captured by the love of God, who has allowed God to transform their heart towards love for others, and who has repented of every idol that's brought to their attention, who does not also possess a deep love for the body of Christ and for the world's undesirables. There's no such person. So let me, let me go all the way back to a comment I made at the beginning. There is a very, very small segment of people in church life, in our family, even right now, who are so beat up, so battered, so bloodied, often through a life of sacrifice, that you barely have the strength to lift your own head in worship, let alone prop someone else up. And I am not here to be a source of condemnation to you. There is a season of healing and God is so gentle. There's also a segment of people in church who are nursing a 20-year-old slightly awkward misunderstanding that they had with a ministry leader and offering it as an explanation for their self-serving consumer attitude towards the Christian gathering. Jude actually talks about these people. Go check it out. Who show up at family dinner week after week. You never bring a dish to share and you never stick around to help with the cleanup. I know, that sounded a little bit snarky. Sorry. And if ever confronted, you're ready with your answer. I don't actually believe that the family is in need of more food, and quite honestly, dish duty is not really my calling or my gift. What I'm inviting you today is just to be honest with the Lord. The truth is, I'm just not powerfully moved by what matters to God. And what I want you to hear is that you must not go to fixing or solving. You must stay in that moment Honest before God, I do not have a sufficient love 
to motivate me to care about what God cares about. That's true in all of your relationships. I was married a couple of years before it even crossed my mind. I should start caring about what my wife cares about. That seems like that would be a nice thing to do. What we do in our relationship with God, in the moment that you recognize that, I just don't have it, just come before the Lord with open hands and repent. Meet him. He is the solution to all of your brokenness. You are not. Do you understand that the whole of the Christian practicum This holy heavenly internship that we're in right now, brief internship, eternity to follow. It is an invitation to follow in the footsteps of Jesus by bearing a cross for others. Why? For the joy set before me. Paul talks about this, Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I rejoice in my sufferings because my sufferings are the sufferings that I experience in caring about what God cares about. And I have no regrets about that. In fact, I consider it an honor, an honor and a privilege to be able to suffer any cost to care for that which Christ so deeply cares, the church, his people, his body. The cross made hope possible. And Paul says, now I've given my life to make hope available to be the hands and feet of Christ. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, allow him to teach you to love others with a kind of love that is supernatural. Third, along the way, you're going to run into some competing affections in your heart in the form of idols. And when you do, just repent, just confess. Just say, I've, I've grown attached to this thing and it's in, it's in competition and I don't want it. And finally, and finally, align your life piece by piece, bit by bit, step by step, with the mission and heart of Jesus on the earth. It's the only reason you remain here. And today, to whatever degree you are not aligned, can you guess what I'm going to ask you to do? Just repent. So I want to do this. Chris, can you guys head up? Um, I want to take a couple minutes. Uh, I think we're going to set this up. So Carrie, uh, Edson, Rinda, Annie. So I'm going to have two of our, uh, four of our elders, two guys and two girls, stand over here on this side. Um, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray uh, just where you're at um, as we come into a time of worship. But I'm going to have them stand there for this one particular reason. There is, a, there is a, a really profound thing that the Lord does um, when we are courageous enough to just confess with our mouth um, whatever it is we need to repent of, right? Whatever it is, whatever that thing is that's in the way, just to say it out loud and say, I, I confess this sin. And to have someone 
on Christ's behalf, because we're his body, right? To have someone on Christ's behalf put a hand on your shoulder and say, and I pray that you would be able to receive God's forgiveness. It's available to you now. I don't know, I don't know why that is, but there's something about that brief interaction, not a counseling session, not an interview, just a confession and a prayer of forgiveness that is powerful, and God uses that in the body of Christ to bring me towards freedom. And for some of you right now, the very thought of that terrifies you to your core. You'll be fine. You'll probably walk out of here alive. So I'm going to ask them to, to position themselves there on the wall, the four of them. I want to ask the rest of you just to bow your heads. We're just going to take a time of prayer. Um, I want you to deal with the Lord. I want you to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. To write a note for yourself. Whatever it is. But if there's something that you feel like the Lord is saying, you need to own it and you need to say it out loud so that I can heal your heart. Just, it'll be over the side. Again, they're not going to interview you. They'll just pray that you would be able to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. So would you take a minute? Um, you can get up now if you want to go over there. Uh, you can stay in your seat. Just take a minute and deal with the Lord.
ways that I have fallen short. In loving you. Caring about what you care about. I confess my own indifference and complacency at times, my own pride, my own fear. And the many moments that I have allowed those things to control my heart towards you and towards others. So I just say I'm sorry. want sin and control. And yet in moments find myself so powerless. And so I just look to you and I ask that you would be what I cannot be even on my own behalf. That you would be my life, my hope, my strength, my source of freedom. God, again, I ask that for those here who have areas of their heart that have grown cold, would you, uh, through your gentle touch, restore life and vitality and an experience of you, a real uh, sense of your presence and your kindness. Give us the courage not to to wallow any longer in our unconfessed sin. Give us the grace to take action, to move towards you, to repent, to say, I'm done. For those right now, God, in this room who who are terrified even now to take that step, would you give them a glimpse of your kindness Teach our hearts to truly believe that to say yes to you is to say yes to being truly alive. We'll have our leaders uh, stay put. If you guys want to stand, uh, we're going to You can stay seated if you want to continue in prayer. We're going to worship together. Anytime through our worship time, if you would like to go and just, again, say something and just have them pray for you, uh, take the opportunity. Don't let the moment pass you by. Uh, Let's come before the Lord. I think there's a tendency, uh, even as Aaron was sharing today, to say, uh, I know I should want A, B, and C more, and yet uh, I actually don't, I kind of love my idol a little bit, if I'm honest. And what you can do and what I can do is I can disqualify myself from responding to God because I'm having this internal dialogue about, well, do I really want that because I just feel honestly so weak? And it's just that. That's the point. 
John Piper actually talks about it all the time. He says, we actually have this desire to want God more. Sometimes we don't want him quite enough, and that's the point. And we get to come before Jesus, and we say, Lord, I know I should want you more than I want this other thing. And I need you to help me. And that's what it's about. Also, for some of you, you keep putting off that come to Jesus moment. And I don't want you to let that moment go by. He's created this moment for you today, whatever that looks like, which certainly can be prayer. It also can be something else. And you know the gig. Now is the moment to say yes, to have that moment with him, to say, here's all I am. Here's everything I have going on. I give it to you. And I, and I say yes, or I want to say yes. I say yes to wishing I could say yes even better, whatever that looks like, right? So this morning is that moment. And if that's you, Jesus is saying, come, I'm here. I'm ready. Let's go. Amen. It's good.